So Jesus asked that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be here in these next few minutes. Help us to understand how that scripture changes our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello, 945. Good to see you here on Memorial Day Sunday. Uh, one of the many things that I love about having teenagers is it is a chance to expand my musical horizons. And a couple of years ago, my daughter told me about a catchy little tune called The Cup Song because cups are featured prominently in it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They had no clue what I was talking about over there in <laughs> traditional. Now, my kids would want you to know, and my kids would hasten to add that it is overplayed and out of date, and yes, it is a little bit bubblegum, but I am going to quote part of it anyway, that goes, I got my ticket for the long way around, the one with the prettiest of views. It's got mountains, it's got rivers, it's got sights to give you shivers, but it sure would be prettier with you. Okay, who says there is no more great poetry these days? I mean, really, sing-song rhythm, rhyming couplets. At one point, it goes on to say, you're going to miss me by my hair. You're going to miss me everywhere. That is brilliant. Like, like a genius line, right up there with, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. And when I told my daughter I was quoting this, she said, so is the sermon about how God takes us the long way sometimes, but it's better? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, I've heard too many sermons. <laughs> Things PKs say at dinner. But I wonder, do you ever feel like God has taken you the long way on something? Maybe it's a career goal and it just seems to be taken forever. Or a relationship that you want to get better, but it's not making any progress. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse or a child or a promotion. Maybe you're waiting to graduate. Maybe you're a parent waiting for someone to graduate. We've been looking at the book of Exodus through the lens of story. Because our lives are like stories. They have reoccurring themes, character development, all kinds of stuff. And next week, I'll be coming back from the men's retreat, which you all should go to. I'll be coming back from the men's retreat to be here to preach, the, to, to wrap up this sermon series. We're going to do the whole rest of the life of Moses next week. So you'll want to be there. It's going to be a five-hour sermon I'm going to preach. <laughs> and for a lot of people, one of the criteria about whether or not they read a book is how long is it? When I taught literature, that was always the question, right? How long is this going to be? Because, you know, I don't want to read some giant tome, especially if it's no good. There's a person in our congregation who has this handy little formula for how long to read a book before you give up on it and decide it's no good. And she said it's 100 pages minus your age. So that the older you are, the fewer pages you would actually read because you have less time to waste on a bad book, right? I, I find that a very helpful, handy little way to figure it out. If life is a story, do you ever feel like you're trapped in a Russian novel? Thousands of pages, too many characters, and it just takes forever. But here's the thing. I've read some really long books in my day, and some of them are very, very good. You get a depth of character and a breadth of adventure you don't often get in a shorter book. And that's what's going on in the passage that Jesse just read. The Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. After 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally lets them go, but then he changes his mind and sends his army after them, which is a great spiritual metaphor. When we are trying to break free of whatever is holding us back and holding us down, we should expect that thing to pursue us all the harder. Try to get free of an addiction or a bad habit or repeated patterns in your life, and you should expect to be tempted all the more. Try to get out of financial challenges, and you should see all kinds of obstacles coming, because we do have an enemy, and he does not want us to be free. And it doesn't mean we're not getting free. Sometimes it means that we actually are. 
Then the text says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. So if I ever write a book, one I'd like to write would be called Irritating Verses in the Bible, and this would be one of them. God not only takes them the long way, but then he says this, tell the Israelites to turn back, so now they're backtracking, and encamp near Pi Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. The result being that when Pharaoh's army comes, they're trapped against the sea. Okay, so God obviously didn't go to West Point because this is bad military strategy. And this is a cliffhanger moment, right? Like, how are they going to get out of it? You know, if this were like a series finale, you know, it'd sort of be the, you know, fade to black and you'd have to wait a whole season to find out. And as I said a few weeks ago, God is never late, but he has this annoying fondness for cliffhangers. Now, if you've seen the movie, if you've read the book, you know the rest of the story. God parts the Red Sea, the Israelites go through, Pharaoh pursues them, but the sea rushes back and Pharaoh's army is drowned, yay, happy ending. And some scholars try to explain this miracle with natural causes, like maybe it was a tidal wave, maybe it was a rapidly moving tide. Even if that's the case, it is at bare minimum a miracle of timing that they were there. Do you ever feel like you are trapped between Migdal and the sea? Pharaoh's army coming one way, the Red Sea at the other, and God just seems to be taking his time. And then... After they get out of this, then the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years trying to find the promised land. It's about 200 miles. It should have taken them weeks, not 40 years. And in spite of many women in my life who have said it's because Moses was a man and wouldn't ask for directions, I think it's more spiritual than that. And it also needs to be said that sometimes it's not God that takes us the long way in life. It's our own dumb decisions. But either way, God can use it to change our lives. First... The long way helps us grow. God is more interested in who we become than where we end up and how fast we get there. He's after our character, because that's what's going to last. And there's a reason that God says that he takes them the long way. He says if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. They're not ready to go to the promised land. They've been slaves for 400 years. They still have a slave mentality. They have no army, no government, no confidence. The long way means they avoided all of Pharaoh's border posts and all of the trading routes, all of which had warring tribes all over the place, because if they faced them so soon, they would have been annihilated. And this, by the way, argues that there's a real historical event behind at the root of this story because their path is just too erratic for it to be made up. You wouldn't make it this way if you're making it up. In the Bible, whenever God wants to develop someone, he takes him to the desert. The Israelites wander for 40 years in the desert. Elijah goes to the desert. Jesus goes to the desert for 40 days. The desert has been too good for too many people for too long to be all bad. So as much as I hate to admit it, sometimes the fast way is not the best way. Sort of like a story I read about a woman who was pulled over because she was puttering along the highway at about 22 miles an hour, which was too slow. But the woman was confused, and she said to the cop, I don't get it. I saw the sign for the speed limit. It said 22 miles an hour. That's what I was doing. I saw the sign, and the cop laughed and said, no, no, no. That sign you saw that said 22, that was the root number, not the speed limit. And she said, oh. And then the cop noticed her three passengers were kind of white as a sheet, looking terrified. So he said, are they okay? She said, oh, they'll be all right in a minute. We just got off Route 127. <laughs> as much as I... Hate to admit this, some, some of you are just now figuring that out. Um, as much as I hate to admit this, the fast way is not always 
the best way. So for instance, when we have a big decision to make, maybe it's a career decision, or maybe it's about do we move and downsize now, or, or you know, what school, what college should I go to, or who should I marry? Sometimes when we have a big decision, what we really want is for God to just tell us what to do. Right? And what I've discovered in my life is that if God has a specific thing he wants you to do, he'll make it actually pretty clear. Most of the time, though, I think God says, you pick. Because it's the process of wrestling with this decision that's going to help you become the person I know you can be. You pick, and whatever you pick, I'm going to be with you. And in fact, one of the things that may change when God takes us the long way is our idea of what the promised land is, which for us is often some achievement or some destination or something like that, and it might become more about closeness to God and meaning and purpose. Is God taking you the long way? It means you're not ready for your promised land. Your character's not ready. You're lacking some skill that you're going to need. One, or, or the thing that you're waiting for, the thing that you're waiting for maybe isn't ready for you. That promotion, that job, that spouse, whatever, not ready for you in the places that you're going to take it when you get there. The long way grows us. Second good thing about the long way is it helps us overcome our biggest fears. The long way forced the Israelites to confront their worst fear, Pharaoh, and discover that God was bigger. And we often want shortcuts, but shortcuts don't do that for us. So for, uh, so for instance, often we want a relationship to get better, but we don't want to do the hard work of looking at the ways we may have contributed to the problem. Or we want the addiction to go away, but we don't want to actually look at, at what the pain underneath the addiction that caused us to turn to the addiction in the first place. We want a shortcut. The long way forces us to confront those deep issues and see that God is stronger than any of the pharaohs that hold us down. When the Israelites see Pharaoh's army coming, it says they were terrified. And then they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us to this desert to die? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. And the Oscar goes to, right? Like this is the first of like eight million whines that they're going to do because they're still slaves. Slaves to fear. Slaves to the familiar. Serving Pharaoh was bad, but it's what they knew. It was what they understood. And it was better for them, than the, in their opinion, than, than the risks that you have to take to get free. I mean, it's all fun and games until someone gets in their chariot and traps you at the Red Sea. Right? And then they want to go home. No, let's just go back to slavery. This is hard. Never mind. And I, that's me. So oh, This is hard. Never mind. Yeah, I know. It's freedom, but it's hard. Never mind. And that raises the question, how much do you really want to be free? How much do you really want to be transformed? Do you really want to get out of debt, even if it means changing your spending habits? Do you really want to heal that marriage, even if it means admitting your part in the problem? See, sometimes our bondage has a payoff, and we know it's no good for us, but we don't, we don't want to do what it takes to get out of it. The long way around sometimes has the prettiest of views, because in it we see that the pharaohs that haunt us aren't as big as our God who can make a pathway between the seas. Which brings me to a third good thing about the long way. It builds our faith. Whenever God is trying to develop us in some way, he often requires that we obey and take some step of faith, some risk of faith. So in this passage, God says to Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. And you can see the Israelites going, like, where? There's the sea, right? And then God says to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through on dry ground. And you can kind of see Moses going because that's going to work. Right? Like even here, in this most spectacular of miracles, even here, Moses still has a part to play. The Israelites still have to take an act of faith. Step into the water. Trust me. 
Every miracle includes some act of obedience, some risk of faith out into the water because that's how we actually experience God with us. Long way helps us grow, forces us to confront our deeper issues, builds our faith, and finally, the long way shows us the power of God. When the Israelites are whining, Moses says to them, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Hebrew is actually much more delightful. In the Hebrew, it's actually much ruder, much more rude than this, because stand firm could be translated be still, or actually the most accurate translation would be shut up, which I just love, right? They're whining, we're going to die, we're going to, oh, shut up. I'm trying to part a sea here, okay? Just shh. And then, boom, God makes a way where there seems to be no way. And if they'd taken the shortcut, they never would have seen the power of God. They never would have seen how God can take the thing that threatens to destroy us and use it to be the thing that sets us free. Their problem, the sea, becomes the thing that God uses to set them free by drowning Pharaoh's army. The thing that is your problem right now in some way may, may ultimately be your deliverance. And often freedom in finances or relationship issues or career problems or just plain boredom in life, freedom doesn't come from going around those things, but straight through them and seeing that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And we don't just get free from stuff. The Israelites aren't just free from Pharaoh. They are free for something else. Because throughout Scripture, God says to the Israelites, you are to be a light unto the nations. In other words, called into God's rescue mission to carry his love to the entire world. God is writing a story with your life. And he doesn't write bad stories, and he doesn't write boring stories. He takes the Israelites the long way in part to develop them, to show them his power. But you know what? The other, I'm a lit guy. You know why I think he takes them the long way, really? I think it's because it makes a better story. Like, it's just a cooler story, right? Like, you can... Oceans divide. I mean, you can, you, you can make movies of this, but it's just a better story. It's got mountains, it's got rivers, it's got sights that make you shiver, right? It's, it's just a better story. But here's the key. Here's the thing. Without Jesus, the long way is just the long way. Without Jesus, the long way, we need Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit to make this meaningful. Without him, it's just a long, long way. Yesterday, as I was working on this sermon, someone sent me this story about a woman who after church says to her pastor, oh, your sermon, your sermon reminded me of the love of God and the peace of God. And he said, well, why did the sermon remind you of that? And she said, well, it reminded me of the peace of God because it passeth understanding and the love of God because it endured forever. <laughs> oh, that's just hurtful. Send to a pastor on Saturday morning when he's working on a sermon. The long way without Jesus is just incomprehensible and long. But with Jesus, he will make it matter. Jesus, whose life recapitulates the entire history of Israel. Right? When Jesus is born, King Herod kills all the boy babies, just like when Moses is born, Pharaoh does the same thing. Jesus and his family have to flee to Egypt to hide and then are called out of Egypt, just as the Israelites are called out of Egypt. Just as the Israelites go into the Red Sea, a slave people, and come out the other side free, Jesus descends into death on a cross and rises again three days later, having paid the price for our sins so that we could be sons and daughters of God called into his rescue mission. And if Jesus is your author, the long way becomes a meaningful adventure. There's a woman I heard about through my former church named Mary Johnson. And 22 years ago, her 20-year-old son was shot to death at a party for no good reason. And the killer was a 16-year-old guy named O'Shea. And Mary was understandably just consumed with rage. So, you know, her thing was, he's an animal, I just want justice. And O'Shea ended up 
serving in prison for 17 years and then was released. For 12 of those years, Mary was filled with hatred. But she also loves Jesus and knew that she was called to forgive. And she said, not for his sake, not for O'Shea's sake. And it certainly doesn't make, doesn't, you know, make what he did better. It doesn't cancel that out. But she said, I was a slave. I was a slave to unforgiveness. And it was like acid eating away at me. So after 12 years and a lot of prayer, Mary asked to meet with O'Shea while he was still in prison. And she sat down and she said, look, you don't know me. I don't know you. Let's just start there. And they talked for several hours in a painful, tearful conversation. And when it was time for Mary to leave, O'Shea said, can I hug you? And he said, I wanted to show her that I was sincere. And so Mary agreed, and when he hugged her, she started crying hysterically. And O'Shea said, all I could think was, I've been in prison for 12 years around hardened criminals, but this right here, this is the scariest moment of my life. Right? Like, crying ladies scare me. But I wanted to show her that I'm there in your pain, even though I'm the one that caused your pain. Well, from there, they met regularly and worked through a painful process of forgiveness that lasted years years, and a lot of tears, and a lot of O'Shea saying, will you please forgive me, and a prayer, tons of prayer, tons of prayer everywhere, and eventually Mary forgave him, and now they have a very close relationship. O'Shea's out of prison. He still carries a lot of guilt, a lot of remorse, but he's learning to accept Mary's and God's forgiveness, and he is determined to pay Mary back for her kindness by, by doing something positive. So he's a Christian, and he goes into prisons, and he tells prisoners about the freedom that Jesus offers, and he helps them not repeat their life of crime when they get out. <clears throat> so there's all kinds of crime, all kinds of crime victims that are not going to happen because of O'Shea. And he says, if I'm ever going to call myself a man, I'm going to have to put on a man's clothes. And the biggest part of being a man is accepting responsibility, facing what you've done, and then doing what I call the three R's, retrain my thinking, retire my nonsense, and repurpose myself for good. Mary's also making a difference, because along the way in this journey of forgiveness, Mary read a poem about two mothers in heaven who had both lost a son. And the first mother said, I would have taken my son's place on the cross if I could have. And the second mother fell on her knees and said, you're the mother of Jesus. And the first mother lifted her up and said, yes, now tell me your son's name so I can grieve with you. And the second mother said, my son's name is Judas Iscariot. And Mary said when she read that poem, she was inspired to start a group that brings mothers of murdered sons together with mothers of sons who have committed murder and find community and healing and life together. Well, when O'Shea got out of prison, some nuns in Mary's neighborhood, they called themselves sister in the, Sisters in the Hood, they, they came to Mary and they said, How would, what would you think about O'Shea living next door to you? And Mary agreed. And she said, I did it because then I could keep a better eye on him. Right? And so now O'Shea lives in one side of a duplex and Mary in the other. They share a wall, as you can see in that picture. And O'Shea says, I think I agreed to this like in a moment of insanity, but it's actually been awesome. When I leave to go to school, Mary hassles me about the company I keep and the decisions I make. And when I come home, sometimes she's standing on the front porch and we talk for hours sharing about our days. She's another mother to me, which you can see in this picture. And whenever I'm feeling down, I look in her eyes, and I look at her face, and I say, she gave me a chance. I better give myself a chance also. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody, ain't nobody that can do that but Jesus. I've traveled this whole wide world. There ain't nobody that can do that. Nobody can get to that picture but Jesus. 
In fact, one time when Mary was visiting O'Shea in prison, she had dry hands, so the guard gave her some hand lotion. She looked down, the name of the lotion was Beyond Belief. And Mary's like, that's exactly what's happening here. I mean, that was the long way around, 22 years. But they grew in their character and their faith. They had to move through their biggest hurts, their biggest fears, not around them, straight down the middle. They saw the power of Jesus, because only Jesus can do that. And I'm not sure I'd describe their life maybe as an adventure, but, I, but it's pretty darn close. Right? I mean, they're part of Jesus' rescue mission. They're helping prisoners get new lives, helping mothers in pain heal together. They are making a serious dent in the devil's plans. So where might Jesus be taking you the long way around? Ask him, Lord, how are you trying to grow me? What steps of faith are you calling me into? Help me see your power. And then if you have the guts, if you have the guts, pray this prayer. Jesus, you just make this thing take as long as it needs to until I'm the person you know I can be. A while back, I was doing a wedding in Ballard. And before I left, I was trying to figure out the fastest way to get there from here, you know, I-90 to 5, then 45th, or 520 to Mercer, and then Fremont. I spent several minutes trying to figure it out. Here's what I concluded. There is no fast way to Ballard. <laughs> right? And that, that's actually, that'd be a great book title as well, right? Like, No Fast Way to Ballard. That'd be a great book title, or, or maybe the name of a band, you know, like a Norwegian band. <laughs> Sometimes there is no fast way to the thing that God is trying to do in our lives. And without Jesus, it can feel like a long, meaningless Russian novel, but if Jesus is with you, and he always is, it may take time, but you will grow. You will see God's power, and there will be meaning and joy. So in a way, that silly little song that I started with in a way, actually makes kind of a decent prayer. I got my ticket for the long way around. It's called Life, the one with the prettiest of views. It's got mountains, it's got rivers, it's got sights to give you shiver. And Jesus, it sure would be prettier with you. So Jesus, that's our prayer. It is better with you. And so walk with us on the long road because we know we do not walk alone. And Jesus, you just make that take as long as it needs to take until we are the people you died to make us. Thank you that you are with us and that we do not do that journey alone. Lead us across Jordan, and we'll give you the praise. In your name, Lord. Amen.